Well, good morning, Real Life Church. It is so good to be with you this morning. Hopefully, you guys have had a great week, uh, a hot week. It's going to be a hot day, um, but, uh, but it is so good to have you. If you are a first-time guest, um, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks for visiting. Um, we hope that this morning you discover what Real Life Church is all about, and it's not about something we do. It's about someone we know, and his name's Jesus. So I hope you get to know him this morning just a little bit more. Uh, I want to start out this morning uh, kind of talking and bragging about a group of people that, uh, that you see probably just about every Sunday, or you may know, or you may not know, or at least maybe throughout the week. Uh, this group of people, uh, they, they really uh, make things go here in so many different ways. And, and I, I just want to brag on our staff and our elders here for a second. Um, I believe that, that God has orchestrated a team here that, because uh, that, the truth is, is it's like um, you've got people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all that kind of stuff, and God brings in and they, they come in and they try to lead out in, uh, in a church setting, which is basically the church is in a building, it's, it's a people, and so it's, it's these people are trying to lead and influence other people into a deeper love relationship with Jesus, and I believe hands down, uh, that our staff and our elders are incredible, and they are a gift from God. So can I just start out by celebrating? Can we celebrate together our staff and elders this morning? Because I think they're incredible. I want to ask you a question, though. Why do you think they do it? I mean, right? Like... I'll tell you right now, it's not for the money, okay? All right, you can go a whole lot of other places, okay? You can go a whole lot of other places, and I guarantee all, the entire team can go a whole lot of other places and make a whole lot of more money uh, doing anything else, but they don't. They decide to step in into environment and, and, uh, and sacrifice and lay things, and lay, lay their relationship before, you know, with the Lord first, and people first, and it's incredible to see how that plays out in conversations and the things that they do and places that they go. Why do they do that? What what is it? You know, this past couple weeks, um, we've been walking through a series called Stories Around the Campfire, and Stories Around the Campfire, we've been kind of inundated with all kinds of, of truth, like we've learned about uh, God is light, the father of love, and, and how, God, how Christ is our shepherd. We learned about forgiveness last week. We learned about uh, just a number of different things that God has taught us in, in all these things. And, and so there's things that have been poured into you and poured into me. But let me ask you the same question I did about our staff. Why do you do what you do? Why do you come to church on Sunday mornings? Why do, you, um, why do you decide to kind of share your life maybe in the children's ministry or in the youth ministry or in the front door and, um, or you go outside of these walls and you share your life with, with neighbors and different things like that? What, why do you do that? Is it, is it merely so that you can feel better about your life? I mean, right? I mean, like, let's, let's think about where we are as people. Where we are as as God has begun to pour into our life. Is Jesus and the church merely for consumption? 
I mean, it offers us a, a number of different things, but is that merely so that you and I can just kind of have a better life? Like, I want a better life. I want to feel better about my life. I want to, I want to think better about my life. Um, or, like our staff and like maybe many of the people that I know in here, um, that there's something more. The reason why I vest, the reason why I serve, the reason why I live out the way that I do is because there is something greater in my life uh, than my own life. Really, there's, there's a higher priority. There's a, there's a higher calling. And we can come in on Sunday mornings and, and walk through the stories around the campfire. And it was almost like, um, I remember all the times that we sat around the campfire and, and dad would be sharing all these stories. And, and inevitably, my dad was, was using stories and my mom was using stories. And, and when we'd share stories around, in order to teach things a lot of the time. Just, and, and likewise, Jesus did the same things. He would use parable and he used story to teach us something about himself, teach us something about what our relationship with him would look like. But was it merely to just sit around the campfire and absorb all these things? I mean, just sit there and, and go, wow, I feel better about myself. I am encouraged. I am smarter now. I am, I am more um, invigorated about my life. I've come in on Sunday morning, and I've received from God some deep, rich truth, and that's just great, period. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I've looked around the United States, I've looked around our world, I've studied church history, I've seen all kinds of things down throughout history, and it seems like, especially in the context of America, we, we love being receptors more than reflectors. We love taking it in, but it's hard, much harder for us to dish it out. It's much harder for us to to take what has been brought in and actually reflect it. And so this morning, I didn't want to necessarily use a parable that, that gave you another principle, an, uh, one more thing that can, you can just digest. But I want to talk about how this life is made, more, is made for more than just bringing it all in. Like creating this, this I mean, some of you have a wealth of knowledge about the Word of God. Some of you have an incredible dynamic relationship with Jesus, and it's intimate, and it's personal. I know that because I've talked with you. I've spent time with many of you. And you know what? It's, it's incredible. But how many of us how many of us can that, can that be said about us, but all we ever do is, is we become a storehouse of Jesus rather than a food pantry? See, I, I, think, I think our lives were made for more. I mean, as, I, as I've looked at all these things that God taught us through these parables. And, and I mean, we can take all these things and feel better about ourselves and feel better about our lives and go, okay, I've learned more about forgiveness. I've learned more about the shepherd. I've learned more about the Father's love and forgiveness. I've learned about what the kingdom of heaven is like. I've learned about all these things, and these are good. But what do I, what do, I do with that now? Like, how does that, 
How do, do, I, do I just hang on to this? Is this just now mine and forever mine? And it's in this, this vault in my heart and in my soul. Is that, is, that, is that the end game? Is that what Jesus wants? But I think God has so much more for us. So much more for his children. A greater calling, if I can say that. See, I say that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives us a little bit of insight. This is what he says. He says, you know, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And I, I like how Paul starts there. I like how he begins there. He's like, you know, at one time, all of us had this thought like, wow, Jesus is a great guy. He's a great prophet. He's a great giver. He gives us things that we need. Um, he fills my cup, and he does great miracles, and he, he answers my prayer, and, and he, he does all these things for me. And, I and, and honestly, from a human standpoint, that makes sense. I get it. He goes, but how differently we know him now. See, because did Jesus just come here to just merely fill your cup so that you walk around with a full cup all the time. So you feel better, that you, you act better, and you look better. Or, or is there something more? Is that, is that cup meant to do something? Is that cup intentionally meant to, to spill out? See, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, see, he's become a new person. See, as we've talked about in the past, and as we'll be reminded today, Jesus is always doing something new. He's always introducing a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of traversing through this difficult life, this hard life. God is doing all things. He's creating new things, new patterns. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So when I, when I think about all the things that come into us, I also think now that that there's something more. Because then it goes on to say in verse 18, and all of this, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Man, we've been brought back into right standing with God, right relationship with God himself because of who Jesus is. But the, and, if, and if it was a period and nothing else was said there, then we are doing exactly what God wants us to do. We are walking around like a full cup all the time, and we just hold on to our cup, and we just want Jesus to continue to pour into our cup, because our cup is the only one that matters. But that's not what God says here in 1 Corinthians. He goes on to say, he says, but, and God has given us this task. Oh, wait a second. This task, that, mean, that means there's, there's, now, there's now this commandment to go and and be a part of something. There's this commandment to put our hands to something. There is a pathway of obedience that Jesus says, I want you to live your life out. And it's this task of reconciling people to him. And you know what I've learned? And if you've learned over any amount of time, that task of reconciling people to him, man, I can't just hang on to the things that Jesus gave me. I can't just selfishly go, it's about me, it's about my world, it's about, it's about this. No, all of a sudden, that, that, that this cup now is intentionally meant to 
to spill out. What God has given to me now, there's, because reconciling people, that, that's a messy, that's a long journey. That's a hard journey. That's an arduous journey. That's, that's a messy journey because lot, people's lives are messy. But God goes, uh, uh, you've been given the task of getting into people's lives and giving them the clearest picture of Jesus with the things that you've been given. Because the world sees life one way and when Jesus makes you new, you are a demonstration of something new that could be introduced into that person's life and that person's life and that person's life into that person's marriage into that person's uh, uh, issue of loneliness or all these different things. He, he creates a new way in you so that you can be a demonstration of a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new hope that's available to a world that has no idea how to redefine them like you've been introduced to. I love, I love Erwin McManus. He made this quote. He said this. He goes, um, he's an author, pastor, teacher. He made this quote in one of his books. He says, there's a call to never settle about what God intend, intends to do with your life. You have to know what matters. You have to know who you are. You have to know what your life is to be given to. For in the end, the one thing where you must nev never settle for less is in the calling that God has on your life. The purpose for which he created you. The impact he designed you to make in this world. And every single life here or online, you were designed to make an impact in this world. And making an impact in this world is answering that task, that call, that Jesus is, is bellowing out through Scripture. Like your, your life is meant for more. It's not just meant for you, it's meant for more. I think the great tragedy is, though, is that the number of lives that never discover who they are and why they're here is an awful reality. They fill their knowledge pools with things about God, about church, about truth, about all kinds of things, but then they tend to place the car in neutral. Isn't that what we do? We, we, we take all these things in and then we put it in neutral. And we try to coast through the remaining years of our life. Can I say that there is a difference between being alive and truly living? It's unfortunate that many of us come to faith in Christ and all we're merely satisfied with is just being alive in Jesus. And I believe truly being alive and truly living are two very different things, and I think Jesus actually calls us to the latter. He says, I, I don't want you to just be alive. I want you to live. I want you to live. 
like ferociously and, and, and passionately and, and with all the, 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 the spiritual Holy Spirit in your life that roars out of you. I want you to love like no one else loves. I want you to encourage like no one else encourages. I want you to come alongside ugliness of this world so that they understand that they don't have to stay where they are. They can be where Jesus is and experience and taste hope and forgiveness and different like this is what our lives are meant for a life that's worth living i think the parable that we're going to look at here for the remainder of our time i think jesus invites us into an incredible message and yeah there's a there's a surface part of it that you but we're not going to get tied up in there. I think there's something deeper. There's a, there's a much richer truth that I think Jesus is inviting us into about this very thing. So if you guys have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And if you don't have your Bibles or your digital device, it's going to be up here on the screen. We're starting in verse 13. And it's the parable of the rich fool. This is what it says in verse 13. He says, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, uh, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. See, life is not measured by how much you own. Verse 16 says this. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, oh, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, oh, I know. I know. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. Then, then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Heavenly Father, we ask for wisdom. We ask for more of you and less of ourselves. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just, you would till the soil of our heart this morning to be able to receive from you exactly what we need to receive. But then answer that call so that we can go out and live the way you want us to live. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This parable is split up into three parts. It talks about man's greed man's consumption, but then God's calling. Man's greed, man's, man's consumption, but God's calling. Early on in my ministry, um, when I first got into ministry, I was so excited to just get out of seminary. I'll just be honest with you. I was like, oh, good, praise God. Let's do this thing. And then I realized, can I go back to seminary? I mean, like, it was just, it was hard. And, uh, and so, uh, I, uh, I remember early on I had this idea that if I 
worked hard enough and I ferociously invested uh, enough of me and, and we got things to where, like, if I got to whatever this level was, get to this level, get the ministry to this level, then at that point, then guess what? I can just go have coffee with people that I want, kind of coast through ministry, you know, and, and just be, you know, the coffee-sipping pastor that I wanted to be. It would be great. It was wonderful. And then I realized how wrong I was. You know why? Because ministry never stops. There's not this place. No matter what God does with the, the building or the number of people that fill the seats or, you, you know why? Because the goal of ministry is to not get butts in seats. The goal of ministry and the goal of the church is to not merely gather a crowd. The goal of ministry is to not merely be able to keep the lights on and pay all the paychecks and all that kind of... No, the goal of ministry and the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ becoming real in the lives of the people that God's called us to, to touch and to reach. This is, the, this is the call of the church. And it, and it never stops. It never ends. It's constant. And I, and I looked at this particular parable... And I realized how closely associated I was with this guy right here. Now, I, I want you to look past a little bit. Yes, is there, is there a financial component in here that Jesus is talking about in regard to earthly wealth? Yes, there is. There is a financial component and there's, there's truth into that. But I, I want us to look a little bit further this morning. I want you to look at, at, at not so much the, the physical, material, monetary wealth that we can acquire, the stuff that we can get, but I'm also talking about the stuff that God gives us. I'm talking about the spiritual, the spiritual knowledge, the, the wealth of information that, that we get bombarded with as, as believers, because when we take it from that perspective and we dive a little bit deeper into our own lives, I think this makes sense. I think we understand the challenge here. See, there's, this, there's these guys and they're in the crowd and all of a sudden they turn and they, they, one of them's like, hey, Jesus, hey, listen, uh, my brother's not working out, okay? All right, he's not doing what I've told him to do. Go figure, right? Brothers don't tell what, okay. Um, and, uh, and so he says, Jesus, can you have my brother, uh, can we... Uh, kind of come into this this agreement and we split up dad's estate he's just he's not doing that and then jesus kind of makes an interesting statement like who made me judge over to decide such things now i jesus it's not that jesus didn't care it's that jesus just knew that guy's heart he knew his heart he's like he knew that if he was able to get involved and he got involved and and he helped orchestrate that he knew that perhaps that wouldn't be good for what was going on in this heart. The reason why this guy was pursuing such wealth and such things. He, he knew that there was something innate in that guy's heart that if he allowed that to happen, it might go bad for him. And then he comes back and he, he warns. He warns this guy. See, I think our default because of our sinful nature, is greed. Can I just 
Let, let's, just, let's, just, let's just call it what it is. And, and not just for monetary things. This is not, I think we just, we like us, so we want us to feel better about us. And so we get information to, to better support us and, and be able to live the life that we ourselves want to live and how we want to live it. And so that I live out my days with a storehouse of information about Jesus, a, a, a wealth of all kinds of stuff that have come in on Sunday mornings and I collect it over years and, and then I open up the word of God and I collect more of that and all of a sudden I die. You know what? With storehouses of Jesus in my life never to be shared with anyone else. You see how, see how devastating that is? See how we're, we're missing out on the call that God has really placed in our life? Because, because Jesus knows something about us that he's trying to reveal. Like there's, our default is greed. Like we like us, and I get it. I like us. I like me. And I have to fight against that all the time. You have to fight against that all the time. We have this, and it's, and it's come from the Garden of Eden. You know why? You read about in Genesis, that very first moment, for the, I don't know, for however, however long Adam and Eve are like, oh God, you, you, you. And then one day, all of a sudden, us. What about us? There's this, there's this natural inclination here. And because of that first sinful choice, choosing us over God, it's innate in us. Like we, we want what's best for us. We want to feel better about us. And, 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 and make no mistake, like we, we take these things and we over-spiritualize it. Like we, uh, we love, um, and what I mean is, 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 God, what about me? And what I mean is, is we over-spiritualize, um, God, don't you, don't you want me to be comfortable? Do, do you see how we do? God, don't you want me to be happy? Don't you want me? And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and what we do is, is we're like, I've got to deal with me, handle me, and then once I'm in a good place, then I'll obey you. And then, and then, oh, and then God, other people will matter to me then. And then I can pour out a whole lot. But can I just say that that is a lie of Satan because you never get to that point. You spend your whole life taking it in, taking and absorbing all that God has to offer. And I'm not saying, here, here, am I saying, and is scripture saying, that diving into God's word and absorbing all that God wants is, is bad? No, I'm not saying that. And scripture's not saying that. I want all of Jesus I can possibly get. But if that's all I've ever done, if that's all that I am all about, then guess what? Jesus becomes nothing more than my cosmic Santa Claus. Fill my stocking every day. Give me what I need. Give me the gifts I want. Give me, give me. And we never do anything 
We never live out. You see, the, the reason why the vision of, of real life church is to, we exist to be a people of prayer, living out God's word, loving Jesus with all we are while sharing Jesus with all we have is because there's a life attached to this newfound decision that you've made for Jesus Christ. This relationship with Jesus Christ demands ahava love action in conjunction with our words. It's a I am, it's also a I do. We don't like that I do part. Because that takes sacrifice, that takes effort, that takes, that takes resources, that takes, uh, that takes taking away things from me, and we don't like that. God, what about me? We hide our real intentions of greed and coveting by claiming that we're on a righteous crusade. No, I'm trying to be more like Jesus. And yes, all of us want that. We want to be more like Jesus. But don't use that as the excuse of why you don't live for Jesus. Because it's not one or the other. It's both going hand in hand. You want to live like Jesus? You want to know Jesus? then guess what? There are things about Jesus that you and I will never, never understand. Never understand until we pour out. Until you're willing to say, not just about me, but about everybody. See, Jesus died for all. And when you come to the grace and saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and you enter into that, that life-changing relationship and he has transformed you into a new creation, th then guess what? Your life no longer belongs to you and it's meant to be used for his glory and building his kingdom. You're on a new task. You're living a new life as a new creation. And if you want to know Jesus more intimately and more personally, then get off the sidelines and get in the game. It's about being a participant. It's about being a player in the game. Jesus is not merely interested in you being comfortable. And many of us Christians, we get really comfortable. And can I just say, it's, it's easy to get there. I... And I've said this before, I, I'm pointing the finger at me. It's so easy to get to this place of comfort and, and coast for a little bit. Oh, I'm tired. And yes, we get tired. And yes, uh, but, but I go back to this fact that, um, that God is not in this for my comfort. He's in this for my holiness. He's working in your life so that you can be holy, that you can understand what that relationship is looks like what was jesus response to this guy hey be careful be careful about always taking in that was his warning be careful you you do that then guess what I, i'm probably i'm gonna have to classify you uh as a as a fool jesus created a new way jesus is warning this guy saying guard yourself beware if all you are is about taking in life's going to go really bad for you see it's not about our self-interest it's about his interests and he's interested in people so should you
so should you. So should I. But not just about man's greed. There's something about man's consumption. Look at verses 16 through 19. He goes, I'm going to better illustrate this. And he gives a story. He gives a story. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So here's the guy. Uh, Think of it this way. This guy was already wealthy. And in this case, maybe some of us this morning, we're spiritually wealthy. We got a lot. God has, God has given us so much of him, and, and we walk with him, and we talk with him, and we engage with him. And, and, and he says um, uh, that I have a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And then he said to himself, what should I do? He looks inward, and he's like, what should I do with all of this? I don't have room for all my crops. I know what I'll do. Um, I know. I'll tear down my barns. And just build bigger ones. And then, then he says, then I'll have enough room to store all, all of my information about Jesus. All of my wheat. All of the other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years now. Neutral. Coast. Go to Starbucks. Sipping some coffee. Years to come. Now, take it easy. I, I'll be honest, selfishly, don't you just like those words? Yeah. Just take, hey, take a load off. You've done your part. You've just... You've absorbed all that Jesus has to offer. Eat, drink, and be merry. He looks at his audience and he says, let me tell you a story about a rich guy. He had barns and the farm was going great. And then he realized, I need more space to store what I got. And so he breaks it down and he builds bigger ones. And now he's at a place of where he's comfortable We love comfort. We want to take it easy. We work our whole lives so that we can retire. That's right. So that we can take it easy. Right? Some of you are really good at it. I'm not a golfer. Okay? All right? I can golf. I'm not a... Okay. All right. But is that our our end game? See, man's goal, when we think like this, is this. It's ourselves. Let's just be honest. When we think like this, when we act like this, when we function like this, even as believers, our focus is us. It's it's ourselves. It's satisfying self. Our goal for life is forged by what we believe about life. And if we believe that life is about us, then everything that we do is about us, is for us. Our mind and body and spirit is always looking to consume. It's our default human mechanism, right? Our default human mechanism is to consume. We, we, we take, we consume, we receive, and we take it all in because it, it betters this guy. It betters us. betters our position in life. And then we also ask ourselves, man's goals is, how can I set myself up for the win? Now, for the unbeliever, 
it is. It's gathering stuff. It's I'm going to live the, um, uh, the life that I want to live. I'm going to pour it out, and, and I'm going to live the hedonistic life, getting as much pleasure as I can. And so from the unbeliever, that makes sense. But for the believer, when we kind of go that route, it says, how much information can I get about God in order to feel better about myself and find a level of comfort in my life so that it doesn't seem overwhelming as I wait for eternity? See, I just... I just fill my storehouses up, and, and that's the way that I live out my life. But see, the goals of cons- a consuming life, the consumption results is this, is, is we just take it all in, never thinking of a means of pouring out. And I'm telling you, I'm raising my hand because I've struggled with this in my own life. God, but what about, what about me? See, because there's this thought of, of going, um, well, that means Jesus just doesn't want me, doesn't want me to have stuff. N- no. God's not telling you he doesn't want you to have stuff. God's not telling you that wealth is bad. He's not telling you that having more of him is bad. I'm not telling you that this morning. What I'm saying is, is we have a problem with abusing how much we get, and knowing when to say enough. Knowing when to say, I cannot continue to take in and not believe that eventually I will become nothing more than a stagnant pool. And a stagnant pool left to its own long enough eventually becomes toxic water. Eventually. We begin to coast and we begin to find comfort, we begin to take it easy, we become self-reliant. These are the results of a consuming life. It's this guy. It's about us. So what was Jesus' response in verses 16 to 19? He said, you're a fool. Now, that's a hard word. But Jesus looks at this guy and he says, you're a fool. He just... He just said, by taking God out of the equation, Jesus is saying, you end up being a fool. See, because if all you do is just take the things from Jesus, can I just say, you really are not even living with Jesus. See, if I just focus on the blessings I'm just going to take this from you, Jesus, and take this from you, and yes, I like this, and yes, I like this. This makes me feel better. If all your attention and all your worship and all your glory is around the gifts that Jesus gives, then you're an idolater. You care more about the gift than the one who has given it, and your focus is on the wrong thing. Your eyes have to be on Jesus. And when you do that, yes, you get all that Jesus has to offer, but your focus, your attention should not be on everything that you get. It's about the one who's extending his hand with the blessing that he's choosing to offer. It's about Jesus. Jesus' response is like, you're a fool. Jesus is teaching something new to this this crowd of people. 
And he's saying um, concerning human nature, uh, by always taking things in, it can and it will be destructive for you. In fact, Jesus calls him a fool to all who do this. A fool. Exodus 16, 16 through 21, there's a story that many of you know. And it's the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness. And um, remember the manna? Uh, You know, bread from heaven. See, the bread that came from heaven, was it in and of itself bad? No. It was from heaven. It was fantastic. It was great. God gave food when there was no other food to be found. He supplied. And so we read this story. says, these are the instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some only gathered, some gathered a lot. Some only gathered a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little always had enough. See, each family had just what it, there's that word again, needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until the morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. Was manna in and of itself bad? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. In fact, it was from God. It was good to consume. He just said, just take what you need, though. See, this is, this is the part he's saying, there's nothing wrong with cons- consuming the things that God gives to you. What matters is, is when you take it further when you begin to hoard, when you begin to bring it in and never let it, let it pour out. See, this is, this is when it becomes bad. It, it says, it, for those families that did that, all of a sudden it became toxic. It became full of maggots and it had a horrible smell. You know why? Because Jesus wants you to be daily dependent on him. See, we want to get to this place of where we have a storehouse of Jesus and then we obey and then we serve and then we love our neighbors and then we do this. And Jesus goes, no, you come to me daily for what you need and then you take what you have and you give it away. You hand it to others. You pour into others. You love others. And guess what? Every day you come back, I'll give you exactly what you need. Every single day, every single moment, you will never be in want for me. It's not, I got to get my life together. And I understand this thought. When you walk into this church, and this may even be you this morning, or you're online, and you're like, I got to get my life together, Joel. I'm a mess. 
How could I ever serve the Lord? How could I ever be a part of what God is doing? You don't know what I've walked through. And the truth is, is I don't need to know what I walked, walked through. All I need you to know and all I need to know is the power and the authority and the forgiving grace that Jesus has poured into you and it's enough for how he wants to use you. That's what I know. See, there's a calling. Yeah, we're greedy. Yeah, we consume. But there's a calling. There's a task. Remember what Paul said in Corinthians. There's a calling. See, verse 21 tells us this. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So it begs the question, what's a rich relationship with God? Is it just being a consumer of God? Or is it living a life for God? Living a life like God? Paul said it best in Ephesians chapter 4 that we had walked through. This may be familiar for those that walked through our Ephesians series. It says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling we've received. The calling. Every single follower of Jesus has been given. The calling. And then Acts 13, 2 through 4 says this. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now I want you to appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and then what? Sent them on their way. You know why we say we don't dismiss and we send is because if I could do what Acts 13 has done for, uh, for Saul and Barnabas, it could, the same could be done for you. We could lay hands on every single follower of Jesus in this room and say, you have a calling. You, every single individual you in this room has a calling Two, take what God has given you and give it away. And give it away. Share it. Lay it out there. Leave nothing in reserve, knowing that God will give you exactly what you need the very next day. He'll constantly be giving you what you need and what you're praying for, what you're longing for. See, a rich relationship is this. God's calling for our lives is not merely to take in and become hermits or spiritual couch potatoes. It's, no, it's, he wants our lives to be spent and sent and used up and poured out for him. 1 Corinthians 1, 7.22 says this, and I, it's not going to be up on the screen, but I... I I wanted to read it. It says this. Remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you're now free in the Lord. But then he goes on and says, if you were free when the Lord called you, if you were free, you are now a slave of Christ. Your life, I'm sorry, and I've said it before, it's no longer yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's not so I don't want to say your agenda for your life doesn't matter, but your agenda for your life doesn't matter. Jesus' agenda for your life matters. And when you come to him every day and you 
you take what he has given you and you extend your hands to say, God, what do you want to do? He takes our hands. He walks us to the people that he wants us to love. He walks us to the people that he wants us to interact, have a conversation with, uh, to sometimes even take our monetary gifts and our resources and, and pour out to them in some way. And, and you know what? It's, it's not complicated. I was talking with, with a brother in Christ recently, and he's like, I just, I just saw a guy, and, and we got to talking, and, and I realized he didn't have a place to live, and, and so I just decided to put him up at a hotel for a month. And I, and I just continue to check on him just to make sure he's okay. I, I love God's goals. And there's three and I'm done. And we're out of here. God's goals are this, and I've said it already multiple times. God's first goal in regard to this is your to pour out what God has poured in. We gotta stop holding on to what we got. Philippians 2.17, Paul said this, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. So all the things that we learned about the parables around the campfire, right? Um, we can just hang on to that. Or we can share with a, a brother or sister about maybe what forgiveness is. Or you can, take, uh, you can take what the kingdom of God is. Or we can teach about how Jesus is our shepherd. Or we can take all these, this truth that God has given us and we, we can use it. We can lay it before other people who need to hear what you've heard. What you've been given. This was Paul's... This was Paul's life. Second thing is, is not only that, it's, it's that others matter. Others matter in this church, and they always will. We cannot be called real-life church if we actually really don't love people. Others matter. Mind, body, and spirit is always looking to love and serve others, showing to God that we love him. You know what? how? By loving and caring for others. James 1.27 says this, pure and genuine religion. See, we talk about religion all the time here in this country. And man's version of religion gets real hypocritical, gets real icky sometimes. But then Jesus redefines it in James. He says this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means what? Caring for orphans and widows in their distress, and also refusing to let the world corrupt you. So yeah, you need to be the person that God wants you to be, but then I need you to go outside and love the unlovable. I need you to go outside and carry this hope to the orphans and the widows and those that are in need and those that are broken. And you know what? Let that messiness get, get all over you. And Jesus will be enough in and through you. If he orchestrates it, he'll finish it. They'll always finish it. And what is in you is enough to accomplish what he wants to do through you. The question is, is do you want to? Because you can come in here this Sunday, take everything that you just heard, go home, and feel better. Or maybe 
or maybe the challenge of this stories around the campfire, all, these, all this truth, maybe we take that and we begin to, to reveal that to a world around us, to share that with people around us, to give it away, to let it pour out of us. What's your response this morning? You can continue to consume on Sunday. You can continue to consume on Wednesday nights and, and every Bible study. And, and you can spend your years merely being alive. Or, or you can begin to live. Truly live. By pouring out your life. Obeying the call that God has placed before you. Rising up and saying, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about what he wants to do in and through me. I want Real Life Church to be more than just a storehouse. I want us to be a spiritual pantry for Las Cruces, New Mexico, so that they can see the gospel of Jesus Christ played out in real time through real lives, loving Jesus with all we are, sharing Jesus with all we have. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, it's hard to offer something that we don't have. And so some of you are sitting there this morning and don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've been living the world's game, collecting as much as you can, finding that place of comfort. And God goes, are you ready for something new? I really want to help you understand what it is to live. And it starts by knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right where you are, right where you're sitting, or if you're online, you can say this prayer silently in your heart. There's nothing magical about my words. It's about who you're talking to. And just know you have an audience with Jesus who's saying, are you ready for a new life? If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and begin this new journey as a new creation, you can say this silently or out loud in your heart by saying, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've only cared about myself. I've only wanted things for myself. I've tried to fill my life with other things. And I'm lost. Jesus, would you save me? Would you change me? Make me whole. Make me new. I believe that you're God. I believe that you paid the price for my sin on the cross. I believe you were buried in my tomb for me. But I also believe that you conquered sin and you conquered death when you rose again from the Jesus, you're alive, so be alive in me.